everything in business is a gamble. People generally buy people. It's genius! We want an education What you're thinking, can you get the buy-in? You're listening to Forest FM, a salon business show with hosts Zoe Below Springer and Killian Vigna. For your industry, by your industry. Content warning. You're about to meet Rachel Page, an inspiring woman, mother, and business owner, tell her story of survival and the aftermath of that. Some of our listeners may find part of today's episode disturbing because of trauma or bad experiences in their lives. We have done our best to hold this conversation with intention and sincerity, and we encourage you to listen to it without judgment, but rather with a compassionate ear. However, this conversation contains segments depicting an episode of violence and mentions of death and suicide from minute 3.30 to 21.30, and then from 31.15 to 35.15. Listener discretion is advised. Please take care of yourself, and if you need to, don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help. Resources can be found on your local governing sites. The theme all along the start of this year has always been about resilience and overcoming hardships. Think of the Uplift virtual event or even how recently on one of our Thoughtstarter Instagram live sessions, we talked about mental health. It's often been said that living in the past causes depression, living in the future induces anxiety, and that therefore we should just live in the present. That being said, there are some circumstances we can control and others that we can't. Today's interview is a story of resilience, strength and purpose, one of self-love too, which requires a relentless pursuit of acting on your own behalf and taking care of yourself even when it's hard. I am really proud of myself and I feel like that is something that has taken me a long time to say out loud and to own. I say that in like the most like humbling way. And I I started to realize I can be proud of myself and I can say it out loud. I can, I can say that and, and know it and and love that about myself. Obviously I'm probably the most critical of myself as well, but working on that. But, uh, I definitely, especially looking back and, you know, I can see like, wow, you, you go girl, you know what I mean? Like, I had so many other things that I could have done and people would have probably been like, yeah, let her lay in bed, let her cry. It's not a fun, it's not fun to take a look into yourself. It's not, it's like, oh, wow. Like self-love for me was being able to honestly get to know who I actually am outside of all of the different roles that I play in my life. And I think like just being gentle with myself. So like that is, is important to me is just trying to remind myself to be, to be gentle with myself and to give myself grace and that I'm literally doing the very best that I can. And that's going to be different from other people's view of what my best is. When you almost die and then you don't, you're like, I want to experience life. Like I want to do all the things that I never got to do or never was allowed to do or any of that. Like you just, you just want to do it and like live. 
On the show with us today, a creative director, stylist, salon owner, educator, and a mother whose strength and resilience is truly inspiring. Rachel Page comes from three generations of cosmetologists and is passionate about making others look and feel beautiful. Founder and owner of the Beauty Lounge Salon Spa Boutique, she's also the leading extension specialist in the Woodlands, Houston, and surrounding areas, the global lead educator for Laced, and teaches babes in business, a salon ownership coaching program she's built, and a visionary blueprint to successful salon ownership. Rachel, it's truly a pleasure to have you on the show today on Forest FM. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. Same. And you have such an inspiring message to share. We were really looking forward to chatting with you. Um, I for sure was extremely moved when I heard your story on last year's Hair Love Radio podcast episode. And I know that recently you shared a bit more about that on to your Instagram stories. Um, but when we first discussed doing today's podcast episode, it was really important for me anyways, that we could share that positive message that you have, the, the reminders for showing up for yourself and those you love most and how you can transform painful experiences or events from the past into positive lessons. Um, of course, that means getting into what happened three years ago when doctors described your recovery as a medical miracle, your survivor. Um, as much as you feel comfortable, of course, can you share a bit about that with us? Definitely. Um, basically, just to kind of get right into it, um, I'm actually um, I'm a mom of two, uh, now three. My boyfriend has a son, uh, so we have three together. But a little over three years ago, I was married and I uh, unfortunately almost lost my life. And my husband at the time, Jason, did lose his life. Uh, he took his own life. And um, that just totally rocked our world. Um, everything was turned upside down. Um, things were on the news. You know, I was literally fighting for my life in the hospital to stay alive and to recover all while trying to comfort my kids from their dad's death and trying to process it myself. You know, it was, it was just a lot. And, you know, my, my husband never once like had ever hurt me physically or anything like that. And you know, we were building a custom house at the time. We also were simultaneously building the salon at the time. Mm -hmm. And the contractor that we had, he ended up stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars from us and causing us a ton of stress, a ton of financial stress that we were not ever used to feeling. We both had really amazing careers. We both, you know, made really great money. We were comfortable. We had a good life. Our kids were great, you know, Every marriage, of course, has their ups and downs, but we immediately became just so financially stressed. And when you're dealing with that and you're trying to grow a business, trying to build your dream home for your family and trying to keep your marriage together and Hurricane Harvey hits and then you're like homeless, you know, because your build's behind and just bouncing around trying to trying to just have some sort of stability for your family, you know, you, you just, it feels like everything's crashing. And so my husband got put on antidepressants, you know, and it was just the absolute wrong medication clearly for him. And something went haywire in his, in his brain, like a chemical imbalance of some sort. And that 
paired with alcohol caused a recipe for disaster. And so what ended up happening is he ended up um, trying to kill me. And I think he thought he killed me because he shot me in my chest. I had a gunshot wound to my chest and shattered ribs and dislocated shoulder and all kinds of other injuries. Um, Collapsed lung. I think he thought he killed me and I thought I was dying. I was. So he ended up killing himself. And by the grace of God, I survived. And I was able to crawl like 75 feet you know, through his cell phone that was in his pocket and call for help and, you know, waiting and waiting for the ambulance to come get me. And then just like trying to stay awake because, you know, every time I would start to doze off because my oxygen level was basically in half, um, my blood pressure and everything was skyrocketing. I had a hole all the way through me from the bullet my lung was totally popped. The, the bullet went through my lung. And I was in just so much pain physically, emotionally, mentally, from everything. I had to just try and stay awake. And every time I'd start to doze off, you know, I would wake up, you know, in a panic and be like, oh my gosh, I'm still here. I'm still alive. You know, and so um, really just keeping my kids and just my family and my life and my team and everybody who I love and care about so much, like thinking about them during that time is what motivated me to stay awake and to keep fighting. And um, we lived on several acres, literally in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, that's the that's the dream, right? You have land and you have a beautiful home and your kids can like play and you know, you have you have space to grow. Well, the downfall of that is it's really difficult for you to get signal. You're kind of in the middle of nowhere. You know, everybody has at least 2 acres or so and we lived in the very very back of the neighborhood. So, it took the ambulance over 30 minutes to get to me from the time they were dispatched. So oh, you can imagine you have one lung, you're in pain, you're bleeding all over the place, you know, and you're also like seeing the person that you love, you know, no longer breathing. It's, it's a lot to take in. And I just remember like trying to, to stay like sit it up because it was really difficult for me to even get up. Um, I couldn't stand or anything. I was just trying to, you know, stay upright. And I just remember thinking about like, at the time I was 26 years old. I'm actually about, I'm turning 29 or sorry, I'm turning 30. (laughs) We all have that denial. I know, but it's like, oh my God, <laughs> I really be 30. Ugh. Yeah. Um, but I just remember thinking, I'm 26. Like, I'm not going to die at 26. Yeah. Like, after every single thing that we've been through and all of the late nights and hardships and everything, like, I'm not going to just give up. 
And I just remember thinking about all of that. And, and Kenzie and Evan, my, my two kids, I, you know, my daughter was only five at the time. And Evan was like two and a half. And I mean, not even two and a half. And just thinking about them, you know, and, and I love my, my, my parents, my, my stepdad actually passed away a few months ago, but at the time, like I, I was thinking about like, okay, if I don't make it, who's going to take care of them? You know? And that's a really, it's really hard. Yeah. I can't even begin to understand how overwhelming that must've all felt in the moment. It's just so much to process. It's like, honestly, that was more, it's like more painful to think about those things than it was physically with what I was feeling. Yeah. And, um, I just remembered thinking, okay, I have to stay awake if I'm awake. And if I, if my eyes are open, I'm still here, you know? And so every time yeah. I would doze off, which is very frequent because I'm bleeding out. Right. And I can't breathe. Yeah. And I was so tired. I had worked like over 60 hours that week. We had, um, some education classes we hosted. And I just remember I was, I like hadn't really eaten anything that day too. Typical hairdresser, not eating, not sleeping. Hmm. You know, jacked <laughs> up on coffee. Uh, and I was just so exhausted and in so much pain and just totally beaten down, like mentally, physically, emotionally. And I remember finally hearing the sirens and you know, of course, it, it felt like forever. You know, it felt like I was waiting yeah. for, them for like three hours, but it was like yeah. 30 minutes. But by the time I actually got to call, um, I was suffering for much longer than that. But they got there and I was able to get into the ambulance. And I just remember asking them, I was like, can you please pray for me? And uh, they were like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. We, we don't really do that. And I was just like, well, fine. Like, I'll pray for myself. Like, <laughs> like, desperate. Like, I just kept praying over and over. Like, God, please keep me here. Keep, you know, please keep me around for my kids. And um, I was awake through all of my surgeries. My, my mom was like, what is, what is wrong? Like, why is she awake? Why is she still talking? But in my mind, if I could stay awake, it meant I was still alive. Yeah, And when you have all of that adrenaline, just like it takes over you, mm -hmm. you're, it, they could max me out on anything. And I was, I was still awake and I was still fighting. And I remember when I finally got transferred into ICU, I, I finally went to sleep. <laughs> and oh my I remember when I went to sleep, my mom just kept thinking like, finally, like, Rachel, <laughs> up and go to sleep, you know? And I remember when I woke up, I, it, it was very emotional because it all, I was just hoping it was like all a bad dream and it wasn't. Yeah. And, um, obviously felt like I got hit by a truck, literally, like somebody rolled over me, like I was in so much pain and everything. So many injuries. And then the surgery on top of that. Oh yeah. Like I had chest tubes, um, very thick, you know, inch or so or more in diameter chest tubes. Like they're not flexible tubes. They're like solid mm -hmm. <laughs> really yeah. in, in my chest. Um, just to drain fluid and blood and everything out of my lungs so that they could start and heal and expand, you know? And I mean, imagine like a, 
like a balloon that has a hole in it and it just keeps filling with water. Like it can't expand. It's just, it's full of, of fluid. And then the fluid ends up coming up, you know, through the rest of your, your body. Yeah. But I remember when I first, when my kids came to see me, I was just so just happy to see them. And, and they had no idea what was going on. And I just remember thinking like, Everything, all the pain and everything. I could have just closed my eyes and just been like, yeah, I'm done. I can't, right? I can't, you know, this is it, you know, and, and been really negative about it, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, I I decided that, and, and probably if I didn't have my kids, I probably would have done that, to be honest. They were my my motivation to 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 stay awake and to, to do, to take the, the, the you know, stronger harder road. And, uh, they were just so amazing and just so loving and, and concerned about me. And, you know, I remember Kenzie was, would like help like change the bandages, like on my, like, you know, on my spar. And, um, she would, you know, just was right by my side and Evan too. And they, you know, they understood that there was a big accident and that daddy didn't make it and mommy did. And that was, that was initially what we told them. Kinsey knows what happened. Evan doesn't know yet, but he will, you know, as he gets older, he's only five right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Kenzie is just amazing. I don't think she actually realizes how much I love her. Yeah. She's, literally the reason, you know, that I kept going. And I remember when I, I was in the hospital for a while and, um, of course everything's on the news and it's super embarrassing and it's super, you know, becomes way more real and you just feel like totally exposed and just like, Mm -hmm. like these news stations thinking it's like this juicy story. And I'm just like, leave us alone, you know, like stop, stop coming to my salon. Stop asking people to talk to you. Stop blowing up my phone. I don't even know how you got my number, you know, just, just leave us alone. And I remember my, um, my manager called me and she said, there's people here at the salon trying to film and trying to ask questions. And they were acting like they were just shopping. And oh my God, I realized that they weren't. And you know, she's like, this is what's going on. And she was trying not to bother me with it. And I remember I finally, I mean, these people are resilient. They'll just, in all the wrong ways. Yeah. It was so invasive. I remember answering the phone finally for one of them because I didn't have my phone for a while. I didn't have any of my stuff. Ended up getting in touch with one of them. And I said, and they were just like, we would love to get a statement from you. And I'm like, okay, do you want a statement? I'll give you a statement, you know? And I said, I'm going to make this very clear though. I said, you're not to step foot in my business. I said, this is personal. I said, you're, you're invading my personal privacy. You're also invading my professional privacy. I said, this has nothing to do with my salon. This has all everything to do with me. Mm -hmm. I said, you need to separate the two. You know, I said, I didn't want my team to be negatively impacted by something that happened in my life. You know, 
Yeah. And I ended up talking to her and I told her that I forgave him. And I do. And that was a really difficult thing for other people to wrap their mind around as like, how, how could you possibly look at what he did to you? Look at, you know, what happened? I feel like in a way it's probably like very freeing though. Yes. Yes. And I forgave him for him, but I also forgave him for me Mm -hmm. and for my kids. And because there's absolutely nothing I can do to change what happened But what I can do is love him for who he was, you know, and just try and remember the good and not the bad. And I Mm -hmm. I remember telling people, you can't summarize somebody's entire existence over a bad decision they made or a bad week or a bad month, because realistically, that's kind of what it was, or even a bad year. And it was a really hard year. And... You know, we both, we both like just really let the situation get the best of us. And Mm -hmm. I, I know that he's sorry. I know that he would take it back if he could. Confident in that. But, you know, my main focus is like, I can't live in that past. I have to live right now and I have to make sure that I work my ass off to make sure that these kids have a great future. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I mean, honestly, up until probably quarantine, to be honest with you, I was just hustling. I was working my face off. I, I don't even understand how someone can work to that capacity and drink that much coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, it was just, it was so unhealthy. I had amazing things happen in my career, but it was so unhealthy to work the way I was working. Mm -hmm. I, you know, in quarantine, it was a forced pause and I I fought it. I was like, I'm going to make these boxes and I'm going to give back to my community and I'm going to create a resource guide for stylists for COVID and Solana. I'm just like... (laughs) Eventually, I'm just like, freaking stop. Just stop. You know? Like, yeah. be with your kids. Go ride a bike. Work out. Go to sleep. You know, basic things that I had, I had never otherwise done. And I remember when I bought a bike, <laughs> I was riding a bike with my kids. And I had this realization. I have never gone on a bike ride with my kids. I have never gotten on the floor to play with them in the last few years. I have not gone to the park with them. You know, I was just working, working, working. And in my mind, I'm working for them. But I was yeah. also working away. Not spending time with them. Yeah. Yeah. You know? How did that make you feel? Like, it's obviously like a great thing to realize because then you can change like your, your, your routine or the way you approach like work life and spend more time with your kids. But obviously at the same time, like realizing that it must have been also very, I don't know, saddening to a certain extent. Oh, yeah. It's it's not a fun. It's not fun to take a look into yourself. It's not. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, wow. Like, you know, and and everybody else you know, around me or on Instagram or the community, they, 
they, they thought so highly of me. They thought so highly of me. And Mm -hmm. when I thought what I thought about myself was not what they thought of me. I was, I'm very critical of myself, not so much now, but a year ago, definitely like extremely Mm -hmm. critical. If I had a second where I wasn't doing something, I felt like I was forgetting something or I felt like I was being lazy. I did not allow myself to rest period. And I still battle with that. Yeah. And you know, it was a, it was something that I just had to prioritize is to start making time for me and that I am allowed to have an identity outside of Rachel, the salon owner or Rachel, the educator or Rachel, the hairdresser or Rachel, the mom, like I'm allowed (laughs) to have my own identity. And I realized during quarantine, even down to like stupid little small things, like I don't even like, I just sat there. I'm like, I don't even know what my favorite color is. I don't even know what I like to do for fun. (laughs) Like fun in my mind at the time, and I still struggle with this, is like, oh, let me, uh, let me go teach someone how to do something or let me sew in a row of hair extensions on someone or let me like put together this like branding board for this person for free. Like that was something that I thought was fun Mm -hmm. and really fun and things like that, like I need to, I needed to identify other ways of doing that that were not work-related. Yeah. Do you feel like you were saying that your kids were your motivation and you spent more time kind of focusing on your clients and everyone else than yourself, that now looking back on it, do you feel like it was almost a way of just distracting what had happened and I suppose distracting from yourself? Yes, 100%. I actually realized something like when I'm on the plane, I have really amazing realizations (laughs) where no one can access me. And I'm like, half the time I don't even get on Wi-Fi because like I don't want anyone to talk to me. I have really amazing realizations or I'll listen to podcasts like y'all's. And (laughs) I have uh, hundreds of notes in in my notes folder on my phone of just like things that that start coming to mind. But what I discovered was me working and working and working and doing what I was doing was definitely a distraction. It was constructive, but it was destructive to my healing process. Yeah. And I had to come to terms with that. And that's not a pretty thing when you realize that you're just like, oh man, you know, So I could have very easily laid in bed and, you know, woe is me. And, you know, I was on so much medication. You guys, you would just be like, whoa. Um, I was in so much medication for such a long period of time. Um, Pain medication, nerve blockers, uh, Mm -hmm. muscle relaxers, everything to just keep my pain level under control. I could have definitely spun into a very dark very depressed state. And it was a very, um, it was a very, you know, hard thing to have to pull myself constantly from reverting to that space. Mm-hmm. So constantly 
mind over matter. I actually wanted to get that tattooed on me because it's like <laughs> literally my mantra for years was mind over matter. What was the perception of those close to you then in that case where like it would be understandable if you did take that time to, I suppose, like like you said, stay in bed all day and woe me and just kind of shut away from everyone. But you didn't. You got up and you kept yourself busy and you distracted yourself with a lot of other things going on. So the people close to you, did they kind of see that as a worrying state or were they almost like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Rachel's kind of getting on with life again. It was kind of both. Mm. So I feel like the people that were really, really close to me who understood me and kind of saw the whole thing pan out, like who were right in it, like when we're like life was getting really hard, they understood the why behind what I was doing. It was because I had, I mean, I just opened my salon six months prior. And I was like, I, I mean, my, my hair money that carried us, you know, and, you know, we were, we were counting on that. And so for me to be out of commission, literally for several months, mentally, physically, emotionally, you know, I had this pressure of like, I can't, I can't, I I didn't want to let anyone in down Mm -hmm. and I wasn't focused on my healing. Uh, I was focused on just trying to get stable and to where then I can take some time and I can go to therapy and I can afford to do that. And so the people closest to me, they understood and, and I'm sure they realized like, oh, it's, that's her way of coping. Like that's the only way that she knows how to get through this is just to do what she does best and is to work mm-hmm. and, and to focus on others and not herself. But the people that don't know me, know me and weren't there during all of that. There was a lot of judgment from others thinking like, oh, you know, she, wow. Like she's just living her best life. She's, you know, look at her go. She doesn't care. Jesus. You know, it's complete misunderstanding, total misunderstanding of me and who I am. But there's, you know, a lot of judgment and hatred from his side of the fence, from friends of his that didn't know me and never hung with us together, that knew him from high school, who weren't in our lives, you know? So there was a lot of, a lot of um, very negative things and very hurtful things that were said and posted and and things from them. Mm -hmm. But their opinions it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. You know, the people that are close to me and the people that I show up for every single day that are actually in our lives, those are the people that I love and care about. And those are the people whose opinions I'm willing to listen to uh, or consider. And Mm -hmm. the other people, it's just noise. Yeah. Mm. I'm sure, I'm sure it's still tough, but yeah, totally. Um, When you look back at like everything that's you know, that you've been through, like even just your realizations through quarantine and all of that. How how proud of yourself are you today, looking back at who you've become? I am really proud of myself. And I feel like that is something that has taken me a long time to say out loud and to own mm-hmm. without feeling like, and maybe this is like a Texas term. I don't know. I'm going to say it like tooting my own heart. <laughs> oh, no, I've heard yeah. that before. <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah, no, <laughs> we, we, we get like, that. You know, yeah. overall, 
you know, I feel like that I say that in like the most like humbling way. Mm-hmm. It, and I, I started to realize I can be proud of myself and I can say it out loud. I can, I can say that and, and know it and, and love that about myself. And I'm very proud of myself. Obviously I'm probably the most critical of myself <laughs> as well, Yeah, but working on that. But, uh, I definitely, especially looking back and, you know, I can see like, wow, you, you go girl. You know what I mean? Seriously. Like I was, just, yeah, absolutely. I had yeah. so many other things that I could have done and people would have probably been like, yeah, let her lay in bed, let her cry, let her just whatever. But, but I had a client and I, and I'll never, she, I don't even think she quite realizes how important and pivotal what she said was. I remember she came over and she said, uh, I did, I mean, I was laying in bed, like her name's Chris Eaton. She's amazing. And she's, when she hears this, she's going to be like, oh my God. (laughs) But she came over, I think she brought Chick-fil-A or something. And I was just like in bed in the house where everything happened and just miserable and pain. And she came in and she said, what are you doing? And I'm just like, uh, laying here like trying to recover I just got shot I can't walk I can barely (laughs) breathe like what do you mean what am I doing (laughs) you know and she's like you need to get up she's like those babies (laughs) lost their dad they can't lose you too you're alive you need to get up and walked out and I was just like oh shit can I say shit (laughs) I I think we'll let you (laughs) okay I just remember her saying that and then she like left and I was like ouch you know and, and then I immediately like opened my phone and I started looking for rent houses. And I was like, I'm getting the hell out of this house. This, this is like, I was staying there trying. Cause like we had just moved in and then this all happened. And I was just trying to keep things as stable as possible for the kids. Yeah. And I realized I can't live here. And I'm literally replaying everything that happened and walking through the same area and seeing the stains on the concrete of blood and everything. I said, I can't live here. This is like detrimental to my growth and Mm -hmm. past. And so I, I contacted my friend's mom. She was a realtor. I got an application put in on a rent house. We were moving out by Friday, like, and, and I had amazing uh, clients and friends that came and literally I didn't have to lift a finger. Not that I even could walk, but (laughs) they moved me and they moved me in and are out and in in one day. Wow. And it cleaned the house and everything. I didn't have to go back there. And it was it was so freeing. I didn't realize what staying there was doing to me mm-hmm. and my mental health and me getting the heck out of there and getting into having a fresh start with the kids, having our own place. And all of that was just the best thing I could have done. And then obviously getting plugged in at church and going to grief share and all of these other things that I was doing. But that was, that was a, a, she, Chris is really responsible for really motivating me (laughs) to get my butt out of bed and do things. And so I'll, I'll never forget, forget her, forget what she said. So I'm very thankful for that. But sounds like you're surrounded by really great people, which reflects who you are as well, you know? such good people 
And mm. these people are just, just amazing. Like love me, support me, cheer me on, aren't judgmental, you know. And it's mm-hmm. it's crazy when you go through big, huge, life-changing things, you really see who's there for you and who's not. Who's only yeah. there for you when it's good. You realize who's there for you when it's not so good too. Yeah. And it's really meaningful, you know. No hard feelings to anybody who wasn't there, <laughs> but you know, it's yeah. You know, you live and you learn and your circle gets smaller as you as you get older. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> for sure. So yeah. it's like over quantity too, you know, and uh, I don't have a ton of, I mean, it's like, it's funny. I, I know a lot of people I have friends, like hair friends or call them my hair friends, but I only have a handful of people that are my like lifelong, like ride or die friends. And yeah. I'm very, very blessed to have those people. You could have 20 friends and only speak to one or two yes. of them. Or and not really know them, or you could have oh, one yeah. or two really good friends like that that yeah. are there to help you move on to your fresh start. Oh yeah, yeah. In terms of like self love and self care, um, because it's great to have like people around you like that, like a solid you know group of friends you can rely on when things are harder. Um, self care, self love is obviously like a constant like work in progress for everyone. Um, what does that look like for you? Is it like honesty, compassion, connection, authenticity? Like what, like, is it movement? Um, how do you define self love, self care? So I feel like for me, it's kind of like two separate things. Mm-hmm. They complement each other, but they're separate. And at least in my life right now, yeah. self love for me was being able to honestly get to know who I actually am mm-hmm. outside of all of the different roles that I play in my life. And I think like just being gentle with myself, which I still struggle with. I'm like I mentioned, I'm critical. I, yeah. I still, I, I can literally count on one hand how many naps I, I probably take in a year. <laughs> <laughs> my boyfriend naps all the time and he's just like Makes up for the so rested and works hard and you know and I he's always telling me like oh my gosh stop lay down take a nap like mm. time to put your phone down so like that is is important to me is just trying to remind myself to be to be gentle with myself and to give myself grace and that I'm literally doing the very best that I can. Yeah. And that's going to be different from other people's view of what my best is. Yeah. You know? And then I would say the self-care part is honestly, it's not like lounging around <laughs> and reading a book. It's like working out. So I work out and I love it because for that hour, hour and a half mm-hmm. every day, that's my time. Yeah. And I'm still doing something. I don't, I don't rest well or sit well. Kind of, I have a lot of energy naturally. Uh, but I really love working out. I can put in work for myself. It's, you know, it's good. The, the mental benefits of working out, endorphins, and yeah. uh, all the things that go along with that are extremely beneficial. I love that. I love that it's healthy. I'm, uh, I eat really clean. I put good food into my body and take vitamins and 
all kinds of things. So, you know, I, I have that now. I have not always done that. Mm-hmm. When I was on the road, educating every single weekend, living off Starbucks and um, protein bars, I, I really wasn't even eating much and I definitely wasn't sleeping much. But I gained like 35 pounds that year. And I mean, in my career, I was like crushing it. But in my personal life, everything is falling apart. You know, my, I mean, yeah, it was just like so unbalanced. So now I feel like I've found rhythm that people used to be like, Rachel, like, you need to find balance. You know, when are you going to have balance in your work life and your personal life? And I'm just like, man, every time I feel like I find balance, it's not good enough for anyone else. So for me, rhythm is kind of like the most important thing. Mm-hmm. So that's something I'm trying to always, you know, walk that fine line of like, am I overdoing it or am I like right on track? Yeah. In the last three years, you were saying how you were all go, I suppose, working that hustle life, the motivation with your kids. Since quarantine where you've now gotten that stage where you've got to slow down and start to assess yourself and actually take care of yourself. I feel like in the last three years, you didn't let anything limit your behaviors or your beliefs. But since that slowdown, has anything kind of crept back in now that you do feel kind of inhibits any abilities? And what do you do when you catch yourself thinking about them? So I think, you know, at the time when I first started like my hustle, I would say, I, in my mind, I'm like, you know, when you start a salon, you're like, okay, it's going to be, going to be hard. It's going to be late nights, early mornings, sometimes all nighters. My kids literally slept on the shampoo bowl numerous times. (laughs) And uh, I remember I used to cover them with like a cutting cape and be like, okay, good night. I love you. You know, it's like, now looking back, I'm like, it's not okay. So, you know, and at the time I'm like, this is, and even my manager too, like she sacrificed so much. Her name's Erin. She's amazing. Hope you guys meet her one day. She's literally everything to me. Um, But like, we both even got into this. We used to tell ourselves this, and this is kind of like us rationalizing our own behavior. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, it's just, it's just temporary. You know, we won't have to do this always. You know, it's just just one more night. You know, let's just, let's stay for like one hour and do inventory. And then before we know it, it's 4 a.m. You know, it's not healthy. Yeah. And that was before my life literally changed. Like, that contributed to all the stress too. Like, but at the time, we're like, we just did what we had to do. And we definitely worked really, really, really hard. But we find ourselves kind of reverting back to that behavior at times, but we have that like self-awareness now where we're like either to ourselves or to each other, like go home. (laughs) Like you don't have to stay late. Now the other girls can take care of this or we can do it tomorrow. So, you know, I, I definitely find myself kind of tiptoeing over that workaholic line a lot because I'm so passionate about so many things, not just, I don't just do the hairs, you know, it's like coaching stylists, coaching salon owners. I'm just 
so passionate and I have all these ideas and I battle with like, I always have to tell myself, like, you don't have to do it all right now. Mm -hmm. Like you're 29. You have like so much time to be able to accomplish these things. And it's funny because they're really not money driven. They're passion driven. Yeah. And so I find that that's sometimes more challenging. Are they, are they like expectations of where you should be at on yourself kind of thing? Not really. It's just like, I have, I have all these ideas that I want to do just because I want to create something or a space or, or create Mm. a, a culture for others or a community. And, you know, I'm always having to to tell myself, like, and my manager's really helpful with this, just kind of like, Rachel, come back down to earth, like your head's up in the stars and the clouds. <laughs> but she's she's really great at like keeping me grounded. But but it's also good for her because I definitely take a lot of risks and I, I do have big, huge, crazy ideas, which keeps us moving forward and keeps us progressing. But yeah. I have to remind myself that like don't have to do it all right now, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's good to be a dreamer, though. It's definitely, I love uh, it's that. definitely I love what that pushes people. Yeah, hundred percent. It's dreamer a great quality. Hikes, yeah. I've had to learn to love that about me because, I mean, my whole life, really, even since I was like four or five, you know, my my family would always be like, "Just sit still. Why do you always have to have noise or be doing something? Just be content with what you're doing and where you're at." Mm. And I, you know, if someone, my family loves me and they, they get it now. They're like, okay, this is just how she's, <laughs> you know, and they've learned to love those qualities about me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they were trying to like dull my sparkle or anything like that growing up. But, you know, I kind of, I don't think I quite embraced who I am and how I'm wired until my life changed Mm-hmm. And when you almost die and then you don't, like, yeah. you're just like, I want to experience life. Like, I want to do all the things that I never got to do or never was allowed to do or any of that. Like, you just just want to do it and, like, live. And, I mean, six months after I got out of the hospital, I climbed a freaking mountain. Like at I was going to say, did you not go to Hair Love Retreat really soon after? I did. And looking back, I'm like, wow, you're freaking nuts. Why did you do that? Why did you it climb must have been a so hard. Yeah. Like so even just hard. on your breath, like. Oh yeah. It was so hard. And I, I, I climbed it in vans, which was a horrible mistake. I had like no mm-hmm. tread on my shoes. It was awful. And I was so just happy that I did because honestly that mountain was not it wasn't like oh I want to climb a mountain like how cool it was like this it was like it signified like me climbing the mountain of my life and my past and all of the things that I have struggled with and everything like it was if I could get to the top it was like I overcame something yeah the mountain was all of the things that I have overcome. So it was, it was more like that. It's a beautiful metaphor for sure. Thanks. <laughs> you okay? You, <laughs> yeah. You walked again? Are you all right? Um, but I got up there and it was, it was really good. It was, it was definitely challenging, but it was mm. amazing. I was, 
really, really thankful to have attended that. I feel like that Mm -hmm. came at the right moment for me. And just that whole community. My gosh, I love all of those people. I'm like, anything Elizabeth puts on, any anything, I'm down. I told her, I'm like, I don't care what it is, what event, <laughs> count me in, you know. And so I I attend every single thing that she that she puts on. And just that whole community has been really, really beneficial for me. Yeah. Uh, and my healing process, really. Just being surrounded by a community that is just just love. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Big shout so out to Elizabeth Faye on right here today. Oh my gosh, I love her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, listen, I, I wanted to bring it back because like you said something about your manager, how she um, is really good at keeping you grounded. And I was curious to to hear maybe about, is there anything you do mm-hmm. in, in your life? Obviously, like she's a great, um, great person to keep you grounded. But is, it, is there something you do maybe more on a personal level that you that helps you feel more present and intentional with what you do? So a lot of the intention and things like that, that a lot of like different exercises or rituals, if you will, that I do like in the mornings or Mm. it's really just in the morning because then the day gets crazy. But it's just kind of like planning and writing things down. If if a thought comes to mind, like I'll jot it down in my phone or in my planner even if I never look at it again, I still wrote it down so I remember it. And yeah, I mean, my boyfriend Drew is so great about kind of helping me be present. That's really nice. Because he's like a recovering workaholic too. So I think we both <laughs> see that and the other. And so we're both kind of like, hey, like you need to stop or like, hey, you need to calm down or you need to like rest. So it's really good. At, we, we're a really good team. I'm really grateful to have him in my life and the kids' lives. You know, so I would say just like having someone, almost like an accountability partner. Mm-hmm. So like in the work zone, that would be Aaron. And in my personal life, that's now Drew. So it's it's really good. That's amazing. You know, if it was just, if I didn't have anyone else kind of like, like kind of like checking on me or touching base with me, I would probably just work at the capacity and not take breaks like I was. Yeah. So it's definitely helpful to have that in your life. Rachel, c- considering the journey that you've gone through where you've kind of realized who who are actually closest to you. You've had that workaholic lifestyle and now you've brought it back down to, I suppose, to kind of more equally balanced work life. What advice would you have for yourself? Going, I was going to say, initially, I was going to say to your younger self, but you're still young, 29. <laughs> we're we're yeah. both the same age, so I'm saying we're still young. Um, yeah. But when you first had those ambitions and those desires, the big, hairy, audacious goals, what would you say to yourself? What now would you say to yourself back then? I would say to just don't take on more than you can handle. Hmm. And what are you sacrificing to pursue this or that or that? Who and who, who are you sacrificing? Like what relationship? Because that was something I didn't, really see when I was like right up in it. I didn't realize, oh, me working so much is detrimental to my home life and my marriage and 
my friendships, relationships, et cetera, you know, because when you're, when you're a workaholic, it's just like with any addiction, you're, I was addicted to working, you know, and addictions can, I mean, can be anything. Yeah. It was, it was that. And just kind of like, I would tell myself too, like, who are you outside of this or that? Like, what's your identity? What are you about? Because those are those were not questions that I started thinking about until my life flashed before my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And don't trust your manager when she says we'll stay an extra hour to do inventory. <laughs> Wait, yeah. We both know it's not gonna be an hour. We both know. Yeah. Yeah. Has has like have you started encouraging people around you, even your staff, to be more mindful of like the workload that they take on? Mm-hmm. Like, has that transferred over to them as well? Oh, yeah. So we don't have, like, a cap of, like, how many days off they can take or anything like that. Like, we want them to take vacations. We want them to, you know, be with their significant other to, you know, to do things. And there's one stylist in particular. She's amazing at what she does. But she, and she's a color correction specialist she would stay super late. I'm talking like 10, 11, 12 o'clock. Wow. And I remember telling her, I was like in tears telling her, like, please, like, I I love your artistry. I think you're amazing. And I appreciate all the steps you take. But like, please go home to your family. Mm -hmm. And um, I tell my manager a lot too. I'm like, Aaron, go home. Aaron, go home. Like, stop it. <laughs> we can do this tomorrow, you know. So I, I definitely try and do that, you know. Or, like, if I'm the last one working in the salon or something, like, I, I tell the assistants to him, like, you guys can go. As long as your mentor is good, like, and duties are done, like, go home. Go be with your family. Go eat. Go whatever, you know. So I definitely try and pass that along to them. Because I, I wish that that was the case with me. Because I probably wouldn't have kind of evolved it wasn't a bad thing as what I evolved into, but it was not, again, it was like constructive, but destructive to myself, you know, and I think a lot of it had to do with the culture back then too. Like it was, it was the hustle culture and like people got wrapped up in that and it was like Gary V everything was hustle, hustle, hustle. But now we're starting to understand that it's, it's not all about work. And it's okay to ask for help as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's something I still struggle with. Um, it's something I still struggle with, but it's hard. You're right. It is, it is because you have to, I mean, the more you start delegating things or asking people for help, you start to realize, wow, they like, we're giving them purpose. We're allowing them to have that same satisfaction that we have when we accomplish something. Mm-hmm. And so that actually turns up the volume on your culture and your salon is you start involving more people in what you're doing. And then it's like a whole different level of teamwork. Yeah. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for being so open and so vulnerable um, with us on the show. Uh, I've shuffled this deck of starter cards before we've started recording. I'm going to flip one. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on this one. Okay. What qualities do you admire in yourself? Okay. Um, I would say that I 
I love my big dreams and like aspirations. I love that. Mm -hmm. I've learned to embrace that and not like dismiss my thoughts that they are important. They are valid. Even if nobody else thinks they're cool. Like I think they're cool. Um, A second one would be just that I don't give up. I really don't. Even when it gets tough, like I'm still going to pull through my, I mean, my life, (laughs) life is that, but like my family, they know, like if they need me, like I'm there 100% and that I can, I can make it happen. And then the third thing would be just my ability to adapt that if something, if something gets like thrown at me or like uh, it's an obstacle or a hurdle or something, it's like, okay, rather than be reactive to it and like freak out and allow that to like cause tons of stress and worry and, you know, throw off my mojo, if you will. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, this happened. What are we going to do about it? You know? Yeah. I think and it's so evident in everything that you've just talked about on this show. It couldn't be any more apparent. Thank you. Yeah. You really embody yeah, those. those. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Off the bat as well. I think I'd, I would be, I'd need a half hour. <laughs> <to put my laughs> um, <laughs> so if anyone get, wants to get in touch, because I'm sure this will resonate with a lot of people. It was truly, truly inspiring. And I'm like, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Um, Absolutely. I know you have obviously babes in business. Um, if people want to get in touch for any kind of educational content from you, where can people find you online or even just chat to you? So my Instagram handle is at Rachel Page XO, mm-hmm. and I respond to every single DM I get, every single one. <laughs> so <laughs> that's me. I'm going to get back with you and answer your questions, or even if you just send me an emoji to my story, like I always will, will engage back. So I'm right there. Look, listen, Rachel, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And thank you so much for being so open with us as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was great talking to you guys. Today's conversation marks our 200th episode. At Milestone, we're extremely proud and grateful to have been able to share with Rachel as she told her story of resilience, strength, and self-love with the utmost vulnerability and openness. Also, thanks to you for turning up every week and supporting the community by lending an ear to our guests' stories. And so I'll keep it short and end it on this quote by Saba Tahi. Life is made of so many moments that mean nothing. Then one day, a single moment comes along to define every second that comes after. Such moments are tests of courage, of strength. I'm sure this will be the case for many of you, but if Rachel's story has really resonated with you or has inspired you in any way, shape or form, please make sure to DM her, let her know. You can also message us at Forest Salon Software on Instagram or send us an email at forestfm at forest.com. Of course, don't forget to head over to forest.com forward slash FM to get today's transcript and subscribe to the show's email newsletter as those get delivered straight to your inbox weekly on Wednesdays. As always, if you want to share your thoughts on Forest FM, you can send us an email at forestfm at forest.com, or you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Once again, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next Monday. All the best. 
This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z, Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Great music makes great moments. Forest FM, the Salon Owners Podcast, is brought to you by Forest Salon Software. Get your clients back in more often, spending more, and generating referrals. Let's grow.